so nice to be with you this morning. You know what else is nice? Is not having to spend 20 minutes in the morning bundling up before you head out the door. I like not having to do that. I can sleep in for an extra 20 minutes. Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, a moratorium on evictions and foreclosures doesn't mean the problem of homelessness has gone away. The annual Hope House Benefit Auction is an online event this year and as critical as ever in their mission. Also this morning, one provision of the president's massive $1.9 trillion virus relief bill was an extension of the healthcare.gov open enrollment period, an expansion of tax credits to make premiums more affordable for the uninsured. In our Throwback Thursday segment this morning, a scathing report from the Trust for America's Health takes government to task for years of underfunding the public health system. And happening around town, the University of Findlay Mazza Museum's final Fun Day Sunday of the season happens this weekend. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, April 8th, 2021. Now, each each morning I like to start off by giving you a rundown of some of the celebrations and observances of the day. Right? Because every day is a day worth celebrating and there's something going on every day. I like to point these things out in case you're looking for a reason to celebrate. And some of them admittedly, are a little odd. Uh, Some of them you wonder, you know, what, do we really need this, right? Um, I don't know, it's National Wet Noodle Day or something like that. If that comes up, you think, well, why? Why Do we really need something like this? But this one, I think, takes the cake. Today, it says here, this is the very first thing that I saw on the daily observances and celebrations list. I check this every morning. And this is the very first one that pops up. Today is Dog Farting Awareness Day. (laughs) I kid you not, that is number one on the list of celebrations today. Dog Farting Awareness Day. Is this something that we really honestly need, people? I don't know who organized this, who came up with the idea, but I would just like to sit them down and ask them, what are you thinking? (laughs) Why? But that's what it says. It is draw a picture of a bird day today. See here again, draw a picture of a bird day. All right, but why do we need why do we need such a thing? Uh, Not as out there as dog farting awareness day, but still, it is step into the spotlight day, and it is zoo lovers day today. So, by the way, speaking of uh, zoo lovers. Uh, certainly uh, sad news to hear of uh, Jack Hanna's uh, Alzheimer's diagnosis. Apparently, he has uh, gone downhill uh, in a very short amount of time, according to his family and certainly thoughts and prayers with his family. longtime director of the Columbus Zoo and uh, really a huge advocate for animals and animal sanctuaries, zoos, and, and uh, zoological societies, not just the one in Columbus, but in general. He's been an ambassador uh, for uh, animal care, animal preservation. We certainly wish him and uh, his family all the best. This is a, a follow-up to a story. You remember the case um, back in October of 2019 of former Representative Katie Hill. You may not remember uh, there were some nude photos 
published of the then-Congresswoman back in October of 2019, she claimed that they were non-consensual photos taken by her ex-husband who released them to embarrass. It was a revenge porn case. And uh, it's certainly not the first revenge porn case out there, but uh, involving a a representative uh, of Congress. And uh, so it made big headlines, and she sued over the publication of those photos. A judge yesterday dismissed her lawsuit against Britain's Daily Mail for publishing the photos, saying that it was protected by the First Amendment when they ran those nude photos. Um, Judge Yolanda Orozco uh, accepted the newspaper's argument that publishing the photos was a matter of public concern, writing that the images spoke to Ms. Hill's character and qualifications for her position as they allegedly depicted her uh, with a campaign staffer with whom she was alleged to have had a sexual affair and appeared to show her that using an illegal drug and displaying a tattoo that was controversial because it resembled a white supremacy symbol that had become an issue during her congressional campaign. So the judge rejected Ms. Hill's argument that the newspaper could have just described the images, saying that the fact that the information could be disclosed in another way does not mean that the image was not of public concern. Uh, You recall that Katie Hill resigned after the photos were published, and it emerged that she had a uh, three-way relationship with her husband, a campaign staffer. It was really ugly, really scandalous. Um, And, uh, of course... Sex sells, so that was a a big part of it, too. Uh, Ms. Hill's attorney argued that the ruling allows anyone who calls themselves a journalist uh, to do the same thing, which she said could lead to fewer women running for public office. So, remains to be seen, but an interesting resolution to that case, at least. Uh, It appears that case has been resolved, but um, an interesting ruling, and perhaps unexpected. Some of the uh, other interesting stories, most buzzworthy stories to get your day started, the first things you need to know. If you have ever judged someone by their music taste in the past, you should know that your judgment may have been legitimate. New article in The Hill looks at uh, uh, past studies on this and finds that there is apparently a link between one's preferred musical genres and an individual's capacity for empathy, with results cross samples showing that empathy levels are linked to preferences even within genres. They specifically found that those uh, who are empathetic toward others most generally prefer, prefer mellow music that falls within the genres of R&B and soft rock while those who listen to heavy metal or hard rock music tend to be more logic-based thinkers and are not so good at showing empathy. Another study found that self-assured people were more likely to enjoy positive music, while those who seek excitement prefer higher arousal music, like electronic dance music, things like that. And those who are open-minded 
had a more general preference for music overall and were also more open to music that spanned multiple genres. Which makes sense. If you kind of take all forms of music in, that generally would indicate that you are an open-minded person. That makes sense. Researcher David Greenberg, the University of Cambridge, says the idea that music is solely entertainment or even just a pure aesthetic experience is very misguided. Music is a form of language, it is a part of human evolution, and it is deeply embedded into our brains. Who knew? So what you listen to can indeed say a lot about you. Um... Did you hear the story about the guy who has become the first person to run from Disneyland in California all the way to Walt Disney World in Florida? Went from one theme park to the other, and he ran the journey. 2,761 miles. I mean, that's right up there in Forrest Gump land. Run, Forrest, run! 2,700 miles. Don Macau, Macau, M-U-C-H-O-W. I think if you run 2,700 miles, I should at least be able to get your name right, right? Um, I think that is Don Macau, age 59, began his run on February 1st of last year. He planned to do it in about 90 days, but because of some unexpected delays, you know, the pandemic and all, uh, he... It actually took about 14 months to complete. There were actually about 90 running days, so he was accurate in the amount of running days, but the days were more spread out than he planned. He arrived at Disney World Monday, uh, greeted by a huge crowd of supporters, uh, including Disney World cast members and all of that. He said his run was aimed at raising awareness of type 1 diabetes. So, pretty impressive. I don't know. For me, I would think there's got to be an easier way to raise awareness about type 1 diabetes. (laughs) But hey, to each his own. No, that is impressive. 2,700 miles. Wow. And one uh, one other note among the first things you need to know this morning. The very first Superman comic book. Once again, the most expensive comic ever sold. I think it has been for a long time the the you know Superman number one or Action Comics number whatever it is where Superman first appears. Uh, Nineteen thirty eight comic book recently sold for two point two five million dollars at an online auction. Original price, cover price on the comic book ten cents. So, uh, the online auction house ComicConnect.com said the previous owner made at least a million-dollar profit from the sale. Um, The book sold for so much, partly because it's in near-perfect condition despite its age, back all the way from 1938. But Superman number one, or the the first Superman, has long been considered the holy grail of comic book collectors and has gone for big bucks. But this is a new record, two and a quarter million dollars. Where did I put all my old comic books? Where did I? <laughs> I've got a couple Richie Riches, I think, that are, you know, just primo. Uh, anyway, there you go. Some of the more interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. 
WFIN News, I'm John Marshall. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast is calling for mostly cloudy skies today with some showers likely and a high 76. Showers again tonight with a low 55. Finley residents last night had a chance to hear from some city council candidates ahead of the primary election on May 4th. The candidates forum here on WFIN featured the five people vying for three at-large seats on Finley City Council. The candidates are Holly Frischi, Andre Gilbert, Randy Greeno, Grant Russell, and Jeff Wobzer. The forum was presented in cooperation with the University of Findlay and was broadcast live from the Weinbrenner Auditorium. City finances, economic development, COVID, and more were discussed. If you missed the forum, you can watch it in its entirety on our website. The death of BGSU student Stone Foltz while attending a fraternity party in March has been ruled accidental by the Lucas County Coroner's Office. The report named alcohol poisoning as the cause of death. The fraternity, Pi Kappa Alpha, met with the university yesterday but declined a hearing. Attorneys for the Foltz family say this has no impact on anything criminally. They called the death deliberate and reckless and say they're not going to stop until this type of behavior never occurs again on a college campus. That's ONN's Angela Ann reporting. The Finley-Hancock County Public Library held a ribbon-cutting ceremony for its new bookmobile. Library Director Sarah Clevidence says their bookmobile helps them to reach people in communities throughout the county. For so many of our patrons, I think they think of this library, the, the one in Finley, as the Finley Library. But we're the Finley-Hancock County Public Library, so this bookmobile is the way we're able to bring library services out into the county for patrons everywhere. The new bookmobile is replacing the one that they've been using since 2005. Get more details and see inside the new ride in a video we have on our website. Hancock County health officials are holding a second dose clinic on Saturday for people who received the first half of a two-dose vaccine at the mass vaccination clinic that was held at the University of Findlay back on March 13th. Appointments are at the same time as the original appointment unless otherwise confirmed. On our website, you'll find more information about how to go about scheduling a COVID vaccination. I'm John Marshall with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. And now our cover story this morning. Uh, Much has been made about the uh, moratorium on evictions and foreclosures that has now been extended uh, by the Biden administration. Looking at extending that out even through the end of the year to get people a chance to get back on their feet following the pandemic. But even though that moratorium is in place, doesn't mean that the problem of homelessness has gone away. Uh, Annual Hope House Benefit Auction is coming up, and it is as critical as ever uh, in their mission. Lori Poland is here from uh, Hope House, along with uh, Kathy Kisberth from uh, Hancock Federal Credit Union, which is the... uh, Title sponsor of the uh, uh, online auction uh, this year. So, ladies, thank you both for uh, for dropping by this morning, uh, Lori. The past year, what has what have you seen? Has there been an, an increase? And we talk about all of the ways that this has upended things, and we know that there are so many people who are kind of living on the edge already, even despite the moratorium on evictions and foreclosures. Uh, I would imagine that doesn't catch everybody. It, it doesn't, and it, the past year has been very interesting for Hope House and the fact that, you know, we are in the business of uh, rental assistance for those that are homeless, but last year with the CARES Act, we were able to add eviction prevention to our menu of services. Hmm. Um, what that meant is that we served more than two and a half times the number of people in 2020 than we wow. did in 2019, with the same number of staff. So um, our staff was a pretty... Uh, 
exhausted at the I, end of I the would year. Imagine, I would imagine so. And of course, uh, all of the, and I think we talked about this some time back uh, with respect to doing what you do. It's obviously even, uh, the need is even greater now. Uh, and yet, obviously, with all of the social distancing and having to be not always in the office and working remotely and everything, I'm sure made that even more challenging. Yeah, we've tried to, our suite has remained, uh, we were closed for several weeks at the family center. However, our office at the transitional shelter remained open. So Mm -hmm. we remained open throughout. Um, But once we reopened at the family center, um, you know, we tried to keep people, um, you know, talk to them at a distance, doing as much by fax or email as we could. Um, It's not quite as personal, but we do have to remain safe. And I would imagine for this particular segment of the population, that can be a challenge too, uh, not always having access to those alternative uh, forms of communication, as it were. You're exactly right. And that is definitely an obstacle and um, you know well I don't have a fax machine or maybe my internet is spotty or Mm -hmm. so um, you know it's overcoming those obstacles to be able to serve people I will tell you that interestingly of the eviction prevention families that we served and there were over 200 of them about 85% of them are folks who had not needed assistance before so to your point with the eviction moratorium um, this is a segment of the population that is they're traveling along, everything's great, mm-hmm. they're paying their bills. They're or you think getting, everything is uh-huh. great. And then it just like most of us, that catastrophe of today I'm working and tomorrow I'm not, mm-hmm. um, I didn't plan for that. I mean, right. that's one thing about the pandemic, I think, that no one planned ahead yeah. for being shut down or or even if you mm-hmm. planned there are mm-hmm. uh, there are always things that come up that uh, can overwhelm those plans absolutely uh, or perhaps you just don't have the resources uh, to plan the way i mean they say oh you should have six months of living <laughs> expenses and you know that's that's all nice to say that you should have that in reserve but the reality is uh, much different it's not always as easy as right. just snapping your fingers and and having it done is also and again it's something that we've talked about before the fact that this is a problem that does exist in our community, and, and a lot of times we like to, to think that this doesn't impact us the way it does in some of the urban centers and, mm-hmm. and things like that. But uh, for as well-to-do, as well-off as uh, this community is as a whole, there's certainly a, a segment that uh, is right there on the edge like that. Absolutely. And, you know, um, the uh, Hancock Regional Planning did a housing study in twenty. 20- 19 and that those results were released in 2020 june of 2020 and we have over 4,000 uh rental households in hancock county so thinking that we served over 200 of them that leaves about 3,700 households and we really don't know were they able to maintain or did some of them you know fall by the wayside sure. um because again that segment of the population also may not know where to go for help mm. and a lot of our clientele came from land referrals from their own landlords who said i i know a place that i think might be able to help you mm-hmm. uh, we went from working with about 45 landlords to working with over 100 and My so goodness. um so you talk about what four thousand uh, rental units mm-hmm. and you helped uh, 200 of that and that's five percent that's five right. percent that's not an insignificant uh, segment right. of the uh, of that population uh so again we say all of that and we lay all of that groundwork to emphasize how important uh the benefit auction is to uh furthering your mission absolutely uh we don't do a lot of fundraisers per se um so the benefit auction becomes Uh, even more important because it is our major fundraiser of the year. Uh, This is the second year. We'll be completely virtual, completely online. Went well last year, so we are kind of using our model from 2020 to 2021. Uh, We have a lot of great uh, 
products and services um, on our uh, auction website. So we are really, really excited. Um, our presenting sponsor is Hancock Federal Credit Union, and this is the seventh year that they've been involved in our auction. So give us all of the uh, details on the uh, online auction here. Um, so uh, the online auction that you can the the preview is open now. Bidding will open on Sunday at noon. It will close uh, Friday night at seven. The neat thing about the auction software we use is that it closes the auction immediately at seven. So um, <laughs> get your bids in when you when you can because at seven o'clock that shuts down and we'll do a. Uh, live from Marathon Center for the Performing Arts to pick raffle winners and um, awesome. our board chair and Kathy, our presenting sponsor CEO, will be speaking. So um, it'll be a pretty exciting time. Uh, again, as uh, lawyers mentioned, Kathy, the HFCU has been uh, involved for a number of years and you know as well as anyone being a financial institution, uh, you know, just how uh, critical uh, this issue is, can be for folks. Yeah, healthy communities are more than just healthy businesses. We have to take care of the people too, and that's something really special that Hancock Federal can do. We're local in Finley, and we really support the nonprofits that are supporting the people in the community. So looking forward uh, to this, and again, uh, the uh, online auction begins when? Uh, the preview's open now. The bidding begins Sunday at noon. Okay. Uh, the website is HH, like Hope House, HH Auction 2021.ggo.bid. Okay, and then all of the bids close when? Uh, next Friday, next April Friday. 16th at 7 p.m. Okay, so you got some time uh, you, on this. Definitely. But you don't want to dally. You do, uh, no, you do not want to dally. And, and good stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. Kudos to uh, everyone who, you know, uh, made donations and, you know, uh, stepped up to to make this happen obviously again recognizing the need absolutely the mm -hmm. um and uh you mentioned uh, uh not just the online auction stuff but the uh, raffles and and things like that mm -hmm. how do uh, folks get uh, in on that so this year it's kind of exciting we um we do three real raffles normally at our live auction mm -hmm. we do a wine raffle so for a wine cooler and a case of wine we do keys to the future which normally you'd have a little loose sight box well we don't need a loose sight box this year so we can put <laughs> bigger stuff in there and then there's a dessert raffle and uh so you buy for ten dollars you could buy you, uh, if we were live you could buy a cupcake or a cookie a filled mm -hmm. cookie from baker's cafe well it's kind of disappointing to buy that cupcake or cookie and you get a piece of paper so this year we've partnered with Baker's Cafe and you can take your receipt from your uh, dessert raffle purchase uh, through the month of April starting April 17th to the end and buy a and you can redeem that for a Hope House pastry um, okay. you can also go in and buy a Hope House pastry and then a portion of those proceeds will come back to us awesome stuff and uh, more details about all of this at your website right yep www.findleyhopehouse.org okay we've got that linked up at our webpage too at uh, goodmornings.net uh, so uh, make it a plan to uh, sometime here in the next uh, several days to get online and check out the Hope, Ho Hope House Benefit Auction, as critical as it has ever been in the mission, and the need is as great as it has ever been, if not greater. Again, Lori Poland from uh, Hope House and uh, Kathy Kisseberth from Hancock Federal Credit Union. Thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thanks, Thank Chris. You. Well, one of the provisions of President Biden's American Rescue Plan, that $1.9 trillion 
virus relief bill included an expansion of access to health insurance coverage through the healthcare.gov marketplace and helps to lower the cost of premiums through tax credits for nearly everyone who buys their own individual or family insurance through that marketplace. Dr. LaShawn McKeever is director of the Office of Minority Health for the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Although, to be clear, Dr. McKeever, this is not just aimed at minorities. Everyone who is not already covered is eligible and encouraged to explore those options, correct? Absolutely. This is um, this applies to anyone who's uninsured. Um, and even if you currently have a plan through the marketplace, you can go back online and resubmit your application to see if you can benefit from this financial assistance. We're finding that four out of five people currently enrolled are um, able to get plans for $10 or less a month. And for a typical family of four, wherein the um, premium may be $400 a month, they're finding plans as low as $163 a month. So the um, American Rescue Plan has provided um, additional, it is greatly expanded its financial assistance in helping people find affordable coverage. So that is also a significant point that if you are already covered uh, through the marketplace, you can go back and look again because, uh, again, part of this is was reopening uh, the marketplace uh, by extending enrollment deadlines that had already passed and so on and so forth. So there is that aspect of it as well. Uh, we mentioned that the financial assistance has been expanded for customers uh, at healthcare.gov as well. Yes. So the financial assistance has been expanded in two important ways. First, it's inclusive of more consumers at higher income levels. And secondly, it offers even better financial assistance options than in the past. So this is a fantastic um, time for people who um, are uninsured to go to healthcare.gov and see if, um, you know, to see what plan may work for them and if they qualify for this financial assistance. In addition, some people may find they're qualified for coverage in the state Medicaid or children's health insurance program, and most Medicaid beneficiaries pay little or no premiums, although their start dates may vary. So um, whether you are uninsured, have a market or have a marketplace plan currently, we're encouraging people to go to healthcare.gov to find out more information. And on the subject of that uh, financial assistance, is that uh, is that financial assistance permanent or is that just for this single enrollment year? So the coverage, if they sign up today, the coverage is for this year. Okay. But the uh, under the COVID relief law, it, it will last for that financial assistance is covered for two years. For two years. So, um, okay. So that's, uh, right. so that's that so enhanced... That enhanced financial assistance would last for two years. Now, when an individual goes to the exchange, uh, finds policy that that fits their needs, applies for that policy, is coverage immediate? So coverage would start the first of the following, the first day of the following month. Um, for example, if someone applies for health insurance today, um, their coverage may start May first. And this special enrollment period uh, is between now and August 15th. So if your um, situation changes and you, you know, find that you're uninsured, or even if, you know, as I said, if you have a marketplace plan and you want to get uh, see if you qualify for additional financial assistance, you will have until August 15th to go on healthcare.gov 
to fill out an application. And okay. the coverage would always start the first day of the following of the following month, and uh, that was going to be my next question. What is the uh, new deadline, the new enrollment deadline? So, as you mentioned, uh, mid August. And what about the the tax credit part, the enhanced financial assistance? Will people see that immediately as well, or is that something you claim on your tax return at the end of the year? So all of all of those. Um, all of that information uh, would be provided um, through the information on healthcare.gov. And we also have a marketplace call center that can help answer questions at 1-800-318-2596. We're providing assistance in 150 languages, and that call center is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, as you mentioned, uh, even those who have, certainly those who are uninsured uh, at this very difficult time uh, are, are encouraged. But even if you have insurance through the marketplace, you can go and update your information and perhaps find an even better plan. What about for those, I mean, I can hear some people saying, hey, that uh, those sound pretty sound like pretty good deals uh, to be had, even better than my private uh, insurance that I would have through my employer. This is an alternative to that. Those who uh, currently have uh, private uh, health insurance, uh, th- that's this is not for them, correct? So this is for people who are uninsured and are looking for affordable um, health insurance. Uh, where, you know, the, the easiest answer is to go on healthcare.gov and fill out your information and see if you qualify for um, more affordable health insurance. Okay. And again, as you mentioned, uh, August 16th is the uh, new enrollment deadline for this? Yes, it is. And, you know, usually a special enrollment uh, during a special enrollment period or um, this type of process requires proof of a qualifying life event. So, you know, as a result of of, uh, COVID relief plan and what we're trying to um, accomplish during this, people don't have to provide proof of that. But, um, you know, if you are in need of health insurance, we're encouraging you to go to healthcare.gov during the special enrollment period to see if you would qualify for this additional financial assistance. So it's an extended open enrollment period uh, through mid-August. So again, we'll emphasize that. Again, Dr. LaShawn McKeever is Director of the Office of Minority Health for the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. You referenced the website for more information. We'll link it up on our webpage as well. Dr. McKeever, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Okay, thank you for having me. And now we're up to our Throwback Thursday segment this morning. In April of last year, this is kind of interesting, looking back since we're a year into the pandemic here, we see a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, Given what we've been through over the past year in April of 2020, uh, so one year ago today, or not one year ago today, but one year ago this month, the Trust for America's Health released a scathing report taking government to task for years of underfunding the healthcare system, the public healthcare system, leading directly to the shortcomings that we saw over the past year in fighting the coronavirus. At the time of that report's release, we spoke with Dara Lieberman, Director of Government Relations for the Trust for America's Health, about that report from April of 2020. It is today's Throwback Thursday. Dara, share some of the numbers that demonstrate that conclusion you are drawing in this report. When you say the healthcare system is underfunded, in what areas and by how much? Well, our report looks at how we specifically fund public health, and that's 
those health departments that you see on the front lines of this pandemic. So the country spends about $3.5 trillion annually on health care, and less than 3% of that is directed towards public health and prevention. And we're seeing the impact of that during this pandemic. These are mostly federal funding decisions, correct? What about state investments? So uh, states, as you as you may know, have to balance their budgets every year. And so those fluctuations that you see in state revenues have a huge impact on, on public health spending. And in Ohio, we found actually that the state's uh, investment in public health has gone up in 2019 and 2018. But I'm very concerned at how this economic downturn would impact uh, the state's ability to invest in public health over the next few years. Which is certainly a fair point. And again, to emphasize what you're talking about, these are investments in public health, like Hancock Public Health, like the state health uh, department. Right. So those, those health departments you're talking about uh, are also on the front lines, but they're in a much more behind the scenes, uh, less apparent way. So public health are the ones that are uh, tracking the disease, investigating cases, uh, perform- setting up their public health laboratory testing, uh, communicating with the public, with, uh, with health care workers, and with governors and mayors about the, the best uh, routes to take to try to prevent the outbreak. As we know, the healthcare system is not government-run. The government doesn't build hospitals or dictate the number of beds or the size of the staff and so on. So aren't there shortcomings beyond uh, just the government? Is, is it fair to pin the blame on government for what we are seeing now? Well, there's certainly uh, been um, enough uh, lack of planning and lack of funding uh, at the federal level, but also it's, it's been very difficult to try to get um, attention for the general public and for healthcare that something of this magnitude was coming. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's certainly there are roles to play within the private sector as well as uh, governmental decisions along the way. I guess the reason I'm asking is, is this another way of advocating for a government takeover of the entire system? Well, I, I wouldn't go that far, but the, there does need to be public-private partnership in preparing our healthcare system uh, in preparing in responding to disasters. So, uh, what we're seeing in healthcare is um, that we are in in many cases um, uh, a just-in-time hospital system. So mm-hmm. they didn't have the resources to. Um, stockpile masks or PPE. And uh, a lot of the assumptions that were made uh, were are, are turning out to be false in this pandemic. And so what are the solutions? Again, you identify the problems, you also make a number of recommendations. Well, so the, the main recommendation is that we can't just fund uh, short-term emergency response uh, funding, which has been very important that, that Congress has acted quickly and gotten money out to state and local public health to respond to this disaster, but we also need ongoing funding for public health infrastructure and workforce. We need to give public health the resources to modernize its data systems, its surveillance capacities, and to be able to retain the public health workforce that can really uh, protect Americans. In the longer term, this is an opportunity to say that, that our governmental public health is not resourced at the levels it need to be. Unfortunately, this is just the starkest reminder that um, 
these kinds of crises are increasing in frequency and public health is facing threats on so many different fronts from natural disasters to lung injuries associated with vaping, measles outbreaks and hepatitis outbreaks. And then now um, layered on top of it, one of the biggest public health crises in a century. From April of last year, our conversation with Dara Lieberman of the Trust for America's Health about their report on years of underfunding the public health care system leading to uh, some of these challenges we've had over the past year uh, in keeping up with and getting ahead of the uh, coronavirus pandemic. And it's relevant to revisit that conversation and talk more about that report because Uh, As the pandemic uh, gets into the rearview mirror, as we get past this, just like with any disaster, uh, it will be time to sort of analyze the response and how might we do better in the future. And this uh, is a report that speaks directly to that. Uh, Since that time, the Trust for America's Health has uh, published a, a couple of additional reports, one on protecting the public's health against diseases, disasters, and even bioterrorism in 2021, and another entitled Building Bridges to Better Health. And you can read those reports uh, at our webpage. We've got the link up at uh, goodmornings.net. Today's Throwback Thursday. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. You never know what you're going to see when you visit the dollar store. Now, I don't mean to disparage those who shop at dollar stores. I've been known to shop at the dollar store from time to time as well. But uh, this is just something that you don't see at many other establishments. Uh, Police in Clearfield County, Pennsylvania, were called to a Dollar General store in Chester Hill after they got a report of a woman who entered the store wearing a hard hat, holding a crockpot lid as a shield, and carrying a bathroom scale. (laughs) It's kind of just kind of as her own makeshift suit of armor, if you will. Uh, They say 25-year-old Tiffany Kerfoot was under the influence of and said people were chasing her and trying to hurt her. She also told police that she had witnessed a murder at her home. Troopers naturally were alarmed when they went to the home to investigate. Her boyfriend told them, well, there's no murder. Uh, Tiffany just has a bit of a drug problem. (laughs) She didn't steal anything at the store. She just came in wearing her, uh, you know, makeshift suit of armor. (laughs) Crockpot lid as a shield and carrying a bathroom scale. Hard hat and everything. Mr. Kerfoot, or Ms. Kerfoot, was cited for public drunkenness and taken to a local hospital for treatment. <laughs> just not something you see every day at, at every store, but at the Dollar General, it's just another day. <laughs> Police in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, say New York Times bestselling author Laura uh, Dukesta. Dukesta, is that how you pronounce it? Bestselling author had her car burglarized outside of her apartment on Tuesday in which 60 copies of her latest book were stolen. <laughs> of all of the things that you could steal, um, <laughs> didn't you see? So somebody comes up at you on the street and say, hey, want to buy a good book? <laughs> I know where you can get a good book, real cheap. So to you real cheap. Might be hot. Um, she says two of her car windows were smashed. And uh, 
Fort Lauderdale police say she saw an SUV speeding away from her car around 4 a.m. that morning. The driver of the SUV believed to be involved in multiple burglaries in the area. But I have to think this is probably the only one where he stole 60 copies of a novel to unload on the black market, apparently. This <laughs> is weird. Uh, this also in Stillwater. Oh, no, not, uh, I was going to say Stillwater, Florida, but uh, Stillwater, Oklahoma. A 10-year-old boy uh, who led police on a chase in his parents' minivan says he was just headed to the store to buy Cheerios. <laughs> Uh, report on Tuesday, the police officer spotted the boy driving the van around 9.30 p.m. Sunday, knew immediately that he had to be 10, 11 years old tops. Turned out he was 10. The boy fled when the officer activated his emergency lights, leading police on a chase that reached, uh, reached speeds up to 50 miles an hour. At one point, the young man drove through an intersection and a residential yard in reverse, narrowly missing a tree. Thankfully, no one was hurt. Police eventually blocked his path, ending the chase. No word on whether he... Actually got his Cheerios or not. <laughs> think probably not. Just I just wanted to go to the store to get some Cheerios. West Virginia man will spend eight months in confinement for helping his jail-bound wife fake her own death. <laughs> the Department of Justice says Rodney Wheeler pled guilty to a conspiracy charge following a huge three-day search for his wife, Julie... She was set to face a possible 10-year prison sentence for scamming the Department of Veteran Affairs. However, Rodney, uh, the uh, day before uh, his, uh, his wife's sentencing, says his wife called 911 to report that his wife had fallen over the main overlook at the New River Gorge. State police responded, launched a huge manhunt for Julie. They eventually found the woman hiding in a closet at their home. <laughs> Just hiding in the closet. <clears throat> Eventually, the pair confessed to the conspiracy. Uh, she has been uh, sentenced to 54 months in prison and ordered to pay nearly $300,000 in restitution. He will spend eight months uh, in jail. So it didn't work out very well. But not a very well-planned-out idea. She's hiding in the closet at home. And finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, this is all kinds of crazy. In China, five hitmen, five hitmen are in jail after they each hired another hitman to carry out a murder that ultimately never even panned out at all. <laughs> now, again, it's China, so some of the names here, are, I'm going to struggle with these. Tan Yuhui, a real estate developer, reportedly hired a hitman to kill a business rival. Unfortunately, the hitman he hired then subcontracted the work to another hitman who passed it on to another hitman who apparently gave it to another hitman who employed yet another hitman uh, who in turn uh, engaged yet another hitman. So five in all. But somewhere along the line, instead of carrying out the hit... The final man conspired with the intended victim to fake his death, sparing his life and allowing the hitmen all the way up the line to collect payment. The plan ultimately failed, leading to the arrest of all five 
as well as Mr. Yuhui. He was sentenced to five years in prison while the hitmen were each given sentences between two and four years. I guess it depended on how far down the line it was. They were in that sequence of events. <laughs> they just kept farming it out. There you go. That is today's broken news. Uh, brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Take WFIN wherever you go with our updated mobile apps for iPhone and Android. And now you can listen to us on your Alexa device. Get the app at WFIN.com or in the App Store or Google Play. Plus, enable Alexa by searching for WFIN under Skills, and you'll soon be saying, Alexa, play 1330 WFIN. And the best part is the apps and skills are absolutely free. On the air at 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM, online at WFIN.com, and on your smartphone, tablet, and Alexa devices. Time for the daily download this morning. Numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. And it turns out that you should not zoom and drive. Or more accurately, obviously you shouldn't zoom and drive while you're driving. But as it turns out, you should not drive even after you've zoomed the root insurance distracted driving awareness survey is out shows 54 percent of motorists who have driven soon after using zoom report that they have trouble concentrating on the road so a bit of a zoom hangover if you will the issue seems to be worse the younger the driver is, which I suppose is not altogether surprising because younger drivers, you know, have less experience, you know, all of that. But th- this is interesting. And, and why Zoom? I have no idea. But uh, 48% of Gen Xers report feeling uh, a, a little Zoom hangover uh, and uh, have trouble concentrating on the road after uh, participating in a Zoom meeting or Zoom conference. of uh, Gen Xers, 61% of Millennials, and 65% of Gen Zers. So the level of distraction apparently goes up the younger you are. Root Insurance CEO Alex Tim says, COVID-19 fundamentally changed the way we interact with our vehicles. As many abruptly shifted to a virtual environment, Americans' reliance on technology dramatically increased along with their screen time, causing a majority of drivers to carry this distracted behavior into their vehicles. Experts say video conferencing takes more brain power than in-person interactions because you have to pay more attention. And driving takes a lot of this same energy as well. So you add the two together in close proximity to each other. Uh, You do one right after the other, And your brain can be overloaded, is essentially what they're saying. To combat this, researchers suggest doing something mindless between video conferencing and driving. (laughs) Just do something mindless. They suggest, uh, you know, something like doing laundry or just something that you do on road to let your brain recharge a bit before you you get behind the wheel after you've uh, zoomed. And I would imagine it works probably the other way as well. You shouldn't go straight to a Zoom meeting after a long drive uh, or your brain would be overloaded in reverse. But that's not what they were looking for. They were looking specifically at at how it impacts 
uh, our driving, which obviously is much more serious. But uh, I just love that. Do something mindless <laughs> After you, between those two activities. The final fun day Sunday of the season is coming up this weekend. University of Findlay's Mazza Museum joining us, Ben Sapp, Heather Sensel. From the Mazza Museum, thanks for uh, dropping by. We certainly appreciate it. This has been a much unusual, uh, very unusual year for uh, Fun Day Sunday. Like everything else, uh, these programs have been uh, happening in the virtual space, and that will be the case again uh, for this one, right? Yes, it will be. So tell us a little bit about uh, this uh, weekend's event. Well, for the benefit of those who may or may not be familiar, uh, what exactly is Fun Day Sunday? So Fun Day Sunday is a program that um, the University of Finley Mazza Museum puts on. It's um, to bring in the community, mm-hmm. to let them do hands-on activities, and to basically just um, come in and visit the museum and see us, but it gives an opportunity for families to spend some quality time together. Sure. And you have a theme uh, every month, and this month's theme is? Venom. Venom. Okay. Yes. Not the comic book character. No. Okay. And they'll learn that, actually, through <laughs> okay. what they see. So, um, you know, we're trying to also put a little teaching element in there so venom is um obviously we have venomous creatures Mm -hmm. so um we do need to be scared of those but they actually are really good um for our ecosystem and they help us do things that you wouldn't even think of like they actually um their venom one is a cancer treatment now and their one is studying for diabetes treatment so as much as we need to stay away from them we need to learn why we can utilize them and they can help us too in our environment really interesting uh now normally uh when these things happen in person and that's how you love uh having the kids we in do. welcome in the because you said you do lots of uh hands-on activities and and crafts and uh, obviously taps into some of the stuff that you do at the museum with the uh, artworks and the children's books and everything it does so this has been um, like you said it's been a strange year Mm -hmm. so we usually go from 15 to 21 stations that the kids can come in and just be immersed in all of this activity okay so we had to mix it up just like everybody else and go to this virtual world so by tuning in they'll meet um actually this time a biology professor right at the university so um um, so he will be there mr rupert and he'll talk about venom but we also have dana emmer who does our mad scientist section okay and they were also amy schleschman who is actually also affiliated with the university of finley and a professor she, she dr schleschman actually does move with amy so there's several segments where the kids can interact we have a drawing section where they can draw with us they can go behind the scenes in the vault so actually we're trying to touch on things maybe they've never they could never see when they would come on a normal fun day sunday okay so to pull that interest in. and so how do folks become a part of this is uh, is this on zoom is it through uftv is it you know how does it work mm-hmm. so facebook actually you just okay. what you want to do is you want to just join our group it's a facebook group so once you join that gives you access to watch the segments at any time that you please mm-hmm. as well as um, if you go on to the live streaming time you can actually see the segments and interact with us okay so you can win prizes so it just depends and that is this coming sunday this coming sunday and so, when is the live uh, stream so you can actually again i, I want to specify so the live stream 
stream is usually around 11 o'clock, but you can watch it at any point in time. Yeah, so that's one of the nice things about yes, virtual exactly. experience so. there. But, uh, but 11 o'clock mm-hmm. if you want to participate live right. uh, with it. And, and Fun Day Sunday is a program you do uh, basically fall through spring in conjunction with the academic year, right? Right, November through April. And uh, so hopefully, I'm guessing you're thinking maybe by the time the fall runs uh, rolls around, you'll be able to get back in person? We, we are crossing our fingers. <laughs> so, uh, but it is a wonderful monthly uh, monthly program uh, for uh, for kids and really for families. Uh, I know I, I know uh, a lot of uh, families who go and you know the grownups enjoy it just as much as the <laughs> as the kids do. Yeah, so. I think you, once you you have to experience to understand it. So mm-hmm. I would re- welcome anybody to take yeah. um, you know a, a moment to come in and visit us when we do go live as well as virtual. But once you do, I think you get hooked on it. Yeah. So uh, that is not the only thing that is going on uh, involving the uh, Mazza Museum. Uh, ben, you've got uh, some other things planned uh, as well. Again, a lot of virtual stuff. Exactly. Uh, this coming uh, month we have on April 26th, it's what we call our Mazza Artist Monthly. We interview an author and an illustrator of a newly published book. Uh, so we, uh, it's a, the title of that book is Looking for a Smile. Uh, and it's a brief interview with the, at the end. The illustrator walks us through a draw-along. Um, we also have on April 28th at 1 o'clock the Jane Addams Children's Book Award. It uh, has been awarded at the United Nations since 1953 and will be awarded virtually at the Mazda Museum this year. Awesome. With the hopes that next year it will be held in person on the University of Finley campus. That is awesome. Yes. So uh, definitely something to put on the calendar. Pretty excited about that. And then uh, as we come into the uh, summer months, uh, you do have an artist camp? We do. It's called Young Artists Workshop. So it's Steam It Up this year. So they're going to get a first view of our new um, Steam edition, as well as doing um, art basically based on illustra- illustrations that are in our museum. Mm-hmm. But we like to mix it up. We like to get messy. We like to get hands-on. And um, if they'd like any more information about that, they just need to contact the office. Okay. So that's being developed right now. But we would love to and share the information. Do you have dates on that? We do. So that is July 19th through the 23rd this year. Okay. So, uh, and, and again, more information going to be on the uh, website. Website, uh, correct. The uh, Mazza Museum uh, is just an incredible gallery of uh, art from uh, children's books um, in what is the collection up to now? I mean, so we we are up, up over seventeen thousand wow. original works of art from artists from all over the world, which makes us uh, again the first and the largest uh, collection of its kind in the world. And uh, one of the things, if if again, if folks have never been, and it's going to be great to be able to get back to the museum and and get everything you know fully fully running again fully operating again um it, it's something that so many of us we all uh, remember picture books from our youth we've read them to our kids uh and and sometimes we take that artwork for granted but it really is is interesting fascinating to see it as works of art outside of that context i mean in that context but even outside of that context for sure. It's amazing the connections and the doors that are opened mm-hmm. from a 32-page children's picture book. And it's truly been a, a, just a joy to be a part of those um, wonderful outreach um, things that have happened over the years um, by use, utilizing the resources that the museum has. And you've been keeping busy uh, during the past year, even with all of the uh, upheaval and not being able to uh, you know, welcome visitors in uh, in person and ha- not being able to have the Fun Day Sunday events and the other events in person. You've been very busy. 
We have, and um, we're, we're currently open by appointment, and we've had good numbers um, for both our gift shop and our museum, so we encourage people. It's there. We'd love to have you come. Uh, we just want to make sure it's safe uh, for everyone. Terrific resource uh, in the community, and uh, before we cut you loose, I, I do have to ask about this, because uh, it, just your, your thoughts, uh, because obviously this is in the news uh, about a month ago, the uh, whole uh, uh, dust-up over uh, older Dr. Seuss books and the artworks that, by today's standards, uh, you look at them a little bit differently, and they're not really, um, uh, I guess, kosher by uh, today's today's standards. Do you run into that uh, at all with any of the, I mean, you know, standards and sensibilities do change over time? Sure. We have... I mean, because we we have artwork dating back into the 1800s Mm -hmm. um and we have artworks by theodore geisel dr seuss and our thoughts there is that let's have a conversation Mm -hmm. Uh, we can't change yesterday we can only talk about today and tomorrow and hopefully those discussions and those conversations will help us all to be more respectful and more kind to to each other and i really uh, think it's it's fascinating to explore uh, you know why those things were uh, considered acceptable at the time, and and you know again those changing sensibilities. It does uh, give the opportunity to provide a conversation, to promote a conversation about these things. Exactly, and that's the Jane Adams uh, Book Award. It's about peace, mm-hmm. and uh, so we're excited to be a part of that equation of making changes and to be represent representing truly what we all together should be working towards yeah uh just another way that the artwork in children's books can spark a a much larger conversation and has much greater impact than maybe what we uh, initially think exactly yeah Uh, what we kind of take for granted again uh, ben sap heather sensel with the uh, university of finley's massa museum with us again funday sunday coming up this sunday 11 o'clock for the live stream yes and um we should give a shout out to farmer state bank and um also taylor automotive because they actually are our our sponsors for that program terrific stuff guys thanks very much for uh, taking the time we've got the link up at our webpage for more information and that will put a wrap on our podcast for today want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning remember you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage goodmornings.net so be sure to check us out online coming up tomorrow on the program the hancock county solid waste management district is resuming collection of household hazardous waste beginning this month. Time for a refresher on the proper way to dispose of potentially dangerous materials you may have lying around. So that and more coming up tomorrow. Until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. And now that you've had a good morning, going out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.